Hey guys, uh, welcome back to On She Goes the podcast. Uh, today we have a really cool guest named Georgina Miranda. She is the founder of She Ventures. Uh, she's an adventure traveler and an athlete. Uh, she's done so many things. And Georgina, thank you so much for being here with us. I'm really excited to talk to you about all the stuff that you've done. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For sure. And we also have our lovely Becca Ramos. Hello. Ooh, back in the booth. <laughs> and then we have Farron Nickdell. Ooh, hello. Not as fun as Becca's name. <laughs> it's all those R's. You know? So, Georgina, uh, thank you so much again for being with us. Um, today, we're going to talk about adventure travel for women of color. Uh, as a Latina, this is not really a, a field that you see a lot of Latinas representing in. And so... First of all, thank you for doing it and for being out there. I know it's not always easy, and I'm sure it hasn't been easy to uh, to get out there on this stage with like probably the plethora of white men that are <laughs> out there doing this. Uh, so I went to your panel this past uh, weekend, and on that panel, I basically was talking about how I have a hard time with like everything nature. Like I didn't grow up around rivers or anything like that, so. My background, like, I'm scared, pretty much. What was your relationship like with nature, with outdoors, with with travel uh, when you were growing up? Yeah, so I was brought up in a very traditional um, Nicaraguan household. My dad was, I would say, adventurous. He liked cycling. Um, That was his hobby of choice. And he used to ski. Um, so I, I, my parents were divorced though. So I knew he went out and did that stuff. I was not allowed to go do that with him. (laughs) Um, my mother was very, um, let's say conservative or fearful that I would get hurt. Um, so to give perspective, I thought the Girl Scouts sounded really cool and interesting, but I wasn't allowed to join because that would mean I would have to spend a night away from home. I know that feeling. Which wasn't allowed. <laughs> Wait, why, um, weren't, why weren't you allowed to spend the oh. night from home? Because <laughs> that just wasn't what happened yeah. in my household. I w- you know, kids were allowed over at our house. Mm-hmm. But, you know, me to go away, especially me to go away with strangers in the woods, like that was not going to be allowed. Um, and that's just a cultural thing. Like that's not, you know, how my mother was brought up. Um And in terms of doing sports and things, like I was encouraged to play sports in elementary school. So, so I did that, but with traveling, for example, I come from really humbling beginnings. We didn't really have a budget to go traveling. So we might do a road trip here and there, but that was really the extent of it. Mm -hmm. And growing up in Los Angeles, yes, I saw mountains around me, which is wonderful. Um, and the ocean was nearby, but you know, again, like this goes back to like how you were brought up. My, my mom was really afraid of the water. So like, although I was encouraged to learn how to swim, like I didn't get to go necessarily go into the water and swim in the sea. Those are things that I started doing as an adult or when I got to call, you know, when I got to college Mm -hmm. and got exposure to seeing like, Oh, this is like what other kids do. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, you know, in our road trips, I mean, in terms of nature exposure, we did take a road trip to Yosemite and did camp one night. I remember that. Um, but it was, it was mainly like driving and looking at places, you know, short little walks in nature, nothing to the degree of, uh, what caught my heart as an adult. You mentioned that it might be a cultural thing, and Becca's Puerto Rican, and she kind of is like sh- like nodding her head like, yes. yes. <laughs> is that a cultural thing where there's not like a lot of like... Um like going into the sea and doing all that stuff. Yeah, so from my personal experience, like I lived in the suburbs and like honestly I think a lot of it comes down to like A, just not knowing that that stuff is there and that there's a like a funness, that there it can be pleasurable to do mm-hmm. outdoor things uh, just because it's not around you. And also that fear factor, like my parents are very much super hyper protective. So, you know, the idea of like, going out of the woods and not knowing, you know, what is out there and what mm-hmm. can happen to you is not a good thing. Unlike you, Georgina, my mom became the Girl Scout troop leader. So <laughs> she could have control over all the children. <laughs> uh, so she was at every camping trip. But yeah, like it's it's very real that your parents do not want you anywhere that is not in their vicinity. Like you could have kids over, but like I wasn't allowed to sleep anywhere unless mm-hmm. my mom like had vetted them Fully, and even then, that wasn't until <laughs> I was like checks. in middle school or high school, like yeah. elementary school. No sleepovers. Are you kidding? Mm-mm. Interesting. Um, Georgina, can you tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you've done? You're working on doing the Grand Slam, right? Yeah. So, um, so the Explorer Grand Slam consists of climbing the highest peak on each continent, and there's actually a debate on which is the you know highest peak of the seventh continent, whether it's Australia or Oceania. And so really it's eight summits and then skiing the last degree of the North and South Pole. So that makes up the Explorer Grand Slam. And of that, I have two remaining, which is the highest peak in Antarctica called Mount Vinson and the highest peak in Papua New Guinea, which is called Karsten's Pyramid. Um, And I've already climbed the highest peak in Australia. So how I started off, the order I did them in, (laughs) it all started in um, July 2008. And my first peak was uh, Mount Elbrus in Russia. Then I headed off to Australia to climb um, Mount Kosciuszko there. And then I journeyed to Kilimanjaro and I took a team up to raise funds and awareness around gender-based violence. and then was next Mount Aconcagua in Argentina, highest peak in South America. And then was Denali in Alaska, highest peak in North America. And uh, then was Everest try number one, and that was in 2011. And I made it um, just about 1,500 feet from the summit. I got hypoxia and I collapsed. Oh, um, and I had no. to turn myself around. So really fortunate to not have had major any other major health issues um, that I was able to get Damn. myself down because I was past the point of any rescue up there. Wow. Um, and then it took me two years to go back, and I summited Everest 2013. So um, oh, in the last five years, I've been climbing other peaks um, and trying to find sponsors so I can finish the last three to four expeditions I have remaining so I can finish the challenge. Man, I have so many questions. Like, Mm -hmm. so how many people do you typically take with you when you're climbing? Like, are other people climbing with you? Yeah, so I I don't take people with me. Um, I have organized around some of these climbs um, charity, like, like 
tracks or efforts. So, for example, in 2011, I took uh, five people to Everest Base Camp with me. Okay. Um, and they were all raising funds for International Medical Corps and V-Day that were helping uh, work on programs in Democratic Republic of Congo around um, survivors of gender-based violence there. Okay. And um, Kilimanjaro, I did take a team of eight people. Um, they were also fundraising for those same organizations, same cause. Um, but on the rest of the expeditions, um, I've signed on to expeditions. Um, for Everest 2013, I actually um, wanted to really have full uh, decision-making ability about my climb because the first time I had gone was on an expedition with, it was 13 of us total, and it was just right. too much. And I didn't agree with weather windows, and I, I've been climbing long enough that it's really hard to put really important decisions on the mountain in somebody else's hands at this stage right. in, I guess, my climbing career. So I um, opted to go with a company that allowed me to have base camp support and um, help me have a climbing Sherpa partner. But it was basically like him and I together throughout the expedition and um, me being able to decide, you know, when I was going to do rotations on the mountain, when I was going to go for the summit based off weather and all those good things. So that was a very personal journey, as bare bones as you could, I could do it or manage to do it. Um, and uh, it made all the difference in the world for me in that, in that case, you know, you're two, two months on the mountain on Everest. So um, a lot of things could, there's a lot of variables in, in making that um, expedition successful. What was that feeling like summiting Mount Everest? I can't even fathom it at all. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's something you really can't put into words because for me, it wasn't just the climb or Mount Everest. It was mm -hmm. everything to get there. When I when I started this whole project, I'm your least gifted athlete, <laughs> naturally, I will say that. I mean, I was voted most improved in every sport I played when I was a kid. <laughs> and... Um, I couldn't run a mile when I decided to go do this. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't know how to ski. Mm -hmm. um, hadn't really climbed anything, really. I'd gone hiking because um, I was starting to get into hiking more. And so getting to the top of the world for me was just like this. At that time, gosh, it would have been like a six, seven-year journey to get there. Um, one failed attempt being so close that... Oh, I can't just, imagine. It, it just, it was so full. It was so rich. I was um, crying my eyes out at the top. Um, and physically, you know, it takes everything out of you to, like, especially that last day, that summit night, you set off at, in the evening. We set off like 9 p.m. I got to the, the summit at 10.15 in the morning, um, you know, the next day. And um, so a total slug of, you know, like yeah. 13 plus hours to get up there. And then it's, it's purely magnificent by just seeing the world from that perspective. Um, when the sun came out, uh, the, sun, the sunrise, like you see the line of the horizon, you see the curvature of the earth. It's, um, you can't help but just be brought to tears of yeah. like how magnificent and beautiful our world is and like what an honor, you know, and privilege to be able to see it and experience it from that perspective. 
Wow. I, I have feel chills. like I'm like, yeah, like I'm like mm-hmm. thinking about it. Like I've never seen it, obviously, but like I kind of started to get a little misty. Yeah. Because like, that's that's amazing. And like, so bear with me here on this one because I'm like the high priestess of basicness. <laughs> what? So when you get up there, then you got to come back down, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you get back? Do you like do you scale back down? And how long does that typically take? Is that a shorter process? Like, yeah, so it's it is definitely faster on the way down. So um, the my whole day, my summit night um, was overall was 21 hours. So it was a little over 13 hours to get up there. Um, I was up there close to an hour. The weather was cooperating with us, thank God. And I was really tired I was because I was moving pretty slow. I mean, a lot of people get up there in like eight, nine hours um, from that last high camp. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me about seven hours to descend back to the high camp. And you're back to 26,000 feet. We spent the night there. And then first thing in the morning, we set off to descend Everyone does it a bit different, whether they rest at the second camp, which you're about 23,000 feet or so. I decided that I wanted to go all the way down to base camp. Mm -hmm. So I went from 26,000 feet all the way down to 17,500 feet in one push the next morning. Uh, It was a really long day. I think we left camp four at maybe six in the morning, and I made it to base camp somewhere around 7 or 8 p.m. Wow. And it was just time, you know, like your body, my body had been, had been through enough and I, I was craving the oxygen, thicker air. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but you know, it's just like your body is just this amazing machine. And I say this a lot, like with these types of endurance sports, it's not just training your, your body. What made the difference between year one and year two on Everest in particular was training my, my mind and my spirit. So spirituality for me has been super important, uh, my whole life, but like really these last, you know, five to seven years, it's, um, it's changed how I approach everything. And I was meditating on the mountain. I was doing yoga, I was very journaling. I was very much like making sure that I was in the most peaceful, present, aware state that I could be. Um, One, to be in tune with my body and what was happening, uh, to enjoy the experience and to make good decisions, you know, because um, you are not operating 100% when you're deprived of of oxygen. No, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. And you mentioned that 14 women have uh, completed this Grand Slam. Have any of those women been women of color? Do you know? There is one woman from Guatemala that that is, but that's the only one that I'm aware of. Nice. Okay, so the Latinas are killing it in the <laughs> adventure sports. Um, yeah, and she and I think she com- she completed. I forget what year she completed it, but it's it's been over five years. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Like, I know that we talked a little bit about. You mentioned this at your She Ventures Summit. Um, we talked about like the notion that adventure travel is not necessarily for us. You don't really see us advertise in this space. Like, you know, um, brands don't necessarily think of us as soon as they want to sponsor someone or anything like that, almost to the point where they think we're incapable. Do you think that the, because now I'm seeing that a lot of brands are like, oh, we're into diversity and like things like that. Do you think that they're being genuine? 
So here's what I see happening. I see that from an ambassador standpoint or influencer standpoint, brands are gravitating towards including more people of color. Mm -hmm. But in terms of actual sponsored athletes in the traditional outdoor adventure travel space, you could go to most any brand site and look at the athlete team and it's not diverse. Yeah. So uh, that has a lot of room for improvement. True. There is space. So have you ever had to deal with adversity in this space? Like, I know that you mentioned that you were on a cycling trip, I believe, with a guy or like something where he kind of like lost his cool because he just could not handle that a woman was right. And that of that, like a minority woman was like, you know, knew more than him. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So for the most part, I will say I've been really blessed. Mm -hmm. Like my very first climbing expedition where I learned how to be a mountaineer was on Mount Rainier in Washington. Okay. Um, I signed up for a course, which was five days, two days, like instructional and three days on the mountain to try to climb it. And I showed up and it was me and 11 guys, um, you know, all all Caucasian. Mm -hmm. And I knew that there was probably going to be less women on the trip, but I didn't think I'd be the only woman on the trip. Right. But it was one of those really like beautiful experiences that I was really like self-conscious and like worried, like would I be fast? I wasn't worried about the the racial aspect of it so much right. um, or the, the gender piece a little bit like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to use my pee funnel in front of these guys, you know, <laughs> rope together. So it was more of like, that was my first exposure of like really truly being like, out there Mm -hmm. and then it being with all men I was like oh dear let's see how this goes but some of those guys are like still my closest friends they were so supportive because we were all there to learn I think that we were that that was kind of special because we were there on a course Mm -hmm. so we were all there to learn it was for the most part all of our first times doing something like this and there were a couple of men on the team that had kids or had daughters and so like I know we were just like one big happy family so I'm really grateful for that experience because I was a bit naive you know like yeah (laughs) I didn't know how that was gonna go now fast forward over the years there's definitely been expeditions where there is a bit of ego. And I would say that that's kind of what's played um, the most. And it's not been necessarily like a racial thing. That's just been more like male ego. And right. um, it's happened on like two, two big expeditions primarily. Um, but the main one was like this last Everest trip, 2013, um, the one of the people that I was sharing base camp with, um, he just like lost his cool in the middle of the um, in the ice fall in Everest, which is like probably the most one of the most dangerous sections of this climb, is navigating through like all these like moving pieces of ice and uh, making sure you don't get taken out by an avalanche or an ice fall like ice falling, you know, and um, you're trying to get through that section as quickly as possible. And this guy like loses his cool, starts yelling at me in the middle of the ice fall. He's like, you're nothing. You know, like just kept repeating that over and over again. Oh my goodness. Kind of like, you know, other people around. Right. And for me, it just like took a moment. Like this is where I say the mindfulness piece became really important. Right. Because I, you know, how people treat you is their karma and how you react is, is all you can really manage. Yeah, for sure. I just like let him get all out of his system. And then I was like, you need to deal with whatever is going on inside of you. 
Yeah. Like you're obviously extremely insecure at the moment. And maybe this is like really out of your comfort zone. I don't know what's going on, but you need to deal with you. What a sad space for him to be in at mm-hmm. that moment. Like it seems like that it probably wasn't personal towards you. It was all him, you know? Yeah, well, there are other instances throughout the two months together. But, but <laughs> to be fair, then, you know, like later, because there was there just it was just really uncomfortable. And, you know, we're all sharing this tight, like small space right. at base camp. I was just finally like, if you have nothing nice to say to me, don't say anything don't at say all. Don't say anything. And please don't climb near me because you're now a hazard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. And, and so we, we did not speak for the rest of the expedition. That's good that you stood up for yourself like that. I mean, I, I'm obviously, you know, not shocked that you would because you are 100% like a strong woman. But I just, I think that that's really important to kind of state the get away from me. Like, you know, kind of thing of like, listen, this isn't happening today. Yeah, you have to set your boundaries. And in those situations, you know, it's like your life's on the line. And Everest is a, is a different. So some of these other expeditions, for example, like Rainier that I mentioned, you're mm-hmm. roped to one another. So that was a different team dynamic, you know, and I think that's why we're all so close. It's because we're each other's lifeline. If somebody right. fell or something happened, like you take up the slack for that person because otherwise you're all going down. Right. And so you kind of have to get over all of your differences and all your everything. You know, it's like the team forming, storming and norming that you talk about in business. Like that all has to happen quickly because you're attached to one another. Mm hmm. I wanted to ask you, um, who inspired you? Who is the who are the people in this field that you look up to or that like constantly inspire you? Yes, I think um, for me, that's a two part answer. The thing that inspired me to really get serious about mountaineering, which, you know, seed had been planted of this fascination with mountains. And also as a kid, my dream was to visit the seven continents, not necessarily the top of the seven continents, but it was just to visit the seven continents. I was just always fascinated with the world. I used to love playing with this little globe and like making up imaginary trips. I knew nothing about where I was pointing at, but just the thought of seeing the world to me just was like, wow, I want to do that one day. Yeah. Um, and, but what really set me off was, um, a cause. And so the cause found me. And in August 2007, I was paging through Glamour magazine looking for a new haircut idea. And instead, I found this article written by Eve Ensler, who wrote The Vagina Monologues. And it was about her first trip to Democratic Republic of Congo. And her first line of this article is like, I just returned from hell, where it is to be hell, like hell on earth for women, basically. So I didn't know that there was a place in the world where hundreds of thousands of women were being raped. And I happened to read about it in Glamour. And it was one of those things that just struck a chord with me. I think I was, was 26. So it was also a point in my career where I was starting to notice gender inequalities in the workplace and other, you know, life. And to read that article, I was like, what? You know, this is happening in the world and I don't know about it. And I was like, well, what if the article was written that hundreds of thousands of men were being raped? I think it'd make front page news. Oh, yeah. It would Mm -hmm. be like the biggest atrocity ever. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, and the statistics to this day, I'll just drop in, haven't changed. So one in three women 
in the world experience gender-based violence. That stat hasn't changed in 10 years since I started my activism around gender-based violence. Um, so that's really was, I was like, okay, this is just nuts. And, and doing more research, I just found out how little it was being spoken about. There was so much stigma around that topic. So naive me is like, what can I do to like bring awareness to this in like a positive way and it's like all right well the craziest thing I can do is to go at the time I was just gonna climb the seven summits I was like because I mean I'm not a climber I'm not athletic I can't run a mile if I do this then I can go and talk about the experience and the expeditions and raise awareness and raise money for these charities and so that was the real driver to put a plan and like go after this big massive project and I always wanted to go after the Explorer Grand Slam but I was like Georgina you don't even you can't run and you can't ski you're not gonna announce that you're doing the Explorer Grand Slam <laughs> like give it a minute maybe like go try to climb a few mountains and see how it goes and then like you can decide whether you want to do Explorer Grand Slam or not um so I didn't announce that even until after Everest because I, I didn't you know I was a little bit like that imposter syndrome of like who am mm -hmm. I you know but in terms of the mountains and, like, mm, creating that kind of, like, childish curiosity of, like, whoa, this uninhabitable world, I want, I want to go play in it. Um, I read a book by Ed Viesters called No Shortcuts to the Top, and uh -huh. he's Seattle-based, and he's the first American uh, mountaineer to climb the world's 14 highest peaks, so they're all over 8,000 meters without supplemental oxygen. And his story really gravitated to me because he, you know, one didn't set off to do that. He was um, studying to be a veterinary and nature and the mountains kind of took over. <laughs> and um, so I was like, oh, okay, well, here's someone that, you know, hasn't been doing this their whole life or wasn't their plan necessarily was able to work up to it. Like, why can't I? So that was that was one. And then the other book, which everybody always brings up, but I don't, it was um, Into Thin Air. And that's about the one of the largest, like, Everest tragedies over the course of oh, yeah. the history of the mountain. It just sparked, you know, this, this curiosity of this space that humans shouldn't maybe be in, but yet yeah. there's a possibility to go. And so that, that ignited <laughs> a, a crazy idea yeah for sure I mean it but I mean look how far you've come that's amazing do you feel a social responsibility like being in this space like do you feel like there's a responsibility on you to kind of encourage other women I mean even with she ventures it's such an amazing thing that you bring all these women together um who are interested in this and like kind of show them that this is a possibility for them do you feel a large responsibility there yeah, I mean, I started uh, my previous company, which I closed, and, and She Ventures for multiple reasons, right? One was to elevate the visibility of women in the space because it was lacking. It's getting better. Um, the other is sharing the gift of adventure. I've met, and I used to be a management consultant, so I was that for 10 years. I would say people in general. I've met so many people that are kind of like stuck in a routine, and stressed and just you know bogged down a bit by by life and being outside has so many wonderful benefits and going to see new places that you don't know is also has so many benefits and and pushing your own boundaries has endless benefits with women in particular you know 
I, I talk about this a lot that, you know, right now women are the largest untapped resource in the world and I want us to become the greatest. But part of that work is not just a collective global effort of companies, governments, you name it. It's also from an individual perspective, like we have to own our own power. Right. And I think these types of experiences really help bring out your power in such a special, beautiful way. And it's not a competition with anybody. It's just your own level of comfort, you know. And to use something different than mountains, I'll, I'll give the example of diving. So I, I mentioned earlier that my mom was, like, really afraid of water. Mm-hmm. Hence, I didn't get to, you know, play in ocean so, so much or, you know, jump in lakes and all this thing because she was afraid I'd drown. And then I was afraid I would drown. Right. <laughs> and so I always had this, like, terrible fear of sharks and deep water. And it was, like, two years ago, I had a really bad shoulder injury, and so I couldn't climb for a while. And I was going, cr- like, crazy. I was like, I needed something adventurous. Like, what else do I really want to do that I can do with, you know, a busted shoulder? Right. And so, anyways, I went and got my diving certification, and if you would have seen me on that first dive, I like went through the oxygen tank like so quickly because <laughs> I was terrified. I was like, oh my God, what is down here? And, um, you know, and then by like the second, third, fourth, fifth dive, like I was kind of in love with it because I'm like, wow, like I have not seen this part of the world yet. And now I get to see this whole underwater world. And last year I went and I got my advanced diving certification so I could go down all the way to 30 meters. Wow. You know, like diving at night. And I was just like never in my life. That's crazy. Oh, my God. You are the most inspiring and fearless (laughs) woman ever. I'm sitting here and I'm like, how? 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 (laughs) Right. And you just keep topping it. I share, though, like I'm not, I kid you not, like there are scary moments, you know, like uh, this last year I saw my first two sharks underwater and they were reef sharks. So everyone will tell you like, oh, those don't do anything. But for the girl that's terrified of sharks and you know, her mom let her watch Jaws at the age of six. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like picturing this animal coming to get me. Um, But, you know, seeing them like took the fear away, you know, and then um, we got really lucky on a dive and I got to see a whale shark and it swam right next to me like while I was diving. And it was just this magical thing. And so I say this a lot to people through She Ventures, through any time I talk, it's sometimes just like really confronting your fears, they're not so scary. We build these stories in our heads, and when you come face to face with these things, you know, you might surprise yourself at how you handle it. Um, You know, but that goes to say, like, I'm still fearful in the water. I'm not a super stellar swimmer, you know, Um, but I, I enjoy pushing those thresholds, you know. Surfing's another one. Like I'm a terrible surfer, and that's something that's always scared me more because I was concerned I'd get swept out to sea or something. But I've I've finally gotten to try it now a couple times, and I love it. And I wish I was better at it. <laughs> but um, again, there's like how many how many sports can you pick to devote to? But I'm glad that I've dabbled in it. You know, like at least it's not this thing that I look at as thinking it's impossible or that you know. I could never do it or something bad would happen to me, you know, nothing bad's happened. So that's good. 
Thank God, because yeah. I'm over here like gasping because mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh my God, like I, I need to. And but you know what? That last quote you said about facing your fears, and you'd be surprised and, how you handle it. Yeah, yeah, like that speaks so many volume, volumes to me because I think there's a lot of things I've done that I thought that I, I was so afraid of, and now I'm sitting here thinking about a way that we can all get our diving certificate. <laughs> so here we are. We'll keep you posted on that. Um, yeah. So. Uh, Tell me, give me some details on what you have coming up. Yeah, so, I mean, I continue to look for support so I can finish the Explorer Grand Slam. That's definitely top priority for me. Um, Once winter comes, I love skiing, so there's not anything set, set in stone quite yet, but I'll definitely try to be skiing as much as possible. And... With She Ventures, you know, the platform's really involved and changed in the way that... um, Adventure, travel, wellness, it's going to be part of our core, you know, values set always. Um, But definitely serving women from a broader perspective, women leaders, entrepreneurs, and and really showing this message that we're powerful beyond measure. And that's not a competition with anybody else. It's just like owning your own power and then having community and resources and tools to help you develop that further. Um, so that's, that's the main thing. We just wrapped up our last She Ventures event for 2018 in the U.S. Um, last night in New York. So, um, yeah, and, um, and try to get to as many more mountains yeah. as I can. Um, you know, it's me and nature. Um, I think it's, it's definitely addictive. Um, I feel at home in wild places. Um, and the world's big, you know, I think it's, uh, if anyone's listening, as came up at She Ventures uh, Summit in Portland, it was, you know, the topic of solo travel. So if there's anyone that's listening, that's curious, or this has sparked something, and maybe you don't have anybody to go with, you know, there's no harm or shame or anything in going alone and starting off small, you know, and picking maybe a destination that's not too far away, but, you know, something that sparks some passion or interest um, to start pushing your own boundaries. Yeah. And can you tell everybody where to find you uh, if people want to follow you or reach out to you if you accept that? Uh, where can they find you on the Internet? <laughs> sure. So a couple ways. Um, my personal website is georginamiranda.com, and that has links to my Instagram and everything else. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my company website is sheventures.co. And on that, also, you can find all of our Instagram links and Facebook page links and everything else and um, updates on events and all that. And we also just launched a new health initiative called Move 30 Collective. So that's move30collective.com. And that's really meant to um, get people moving mind, body, and spirit 30 minutes a day every day. Love so, that. That's great. Shockingly enough, uh, recommended exercise is 30 minutes of like low aerobic exercise five days a week. Um, but one in four people in the world don't actually get that. Wow. That's kind of so I don't. We're trying to partner with different companies to make sure that, you know, people at work are getting that and making it inspiring because, you know, exercising sometimes can become a to-do and it should be something fun. Moving your body, moving your mind, your spirit should be something that just enriches your life. So we're trying to make it fun 
and get as many people moving as we can. I love that. Yeah, that's that's actually wonderful. And we'll post all of that in the podcast link so that um, everybody can see it. But that's amazing. Georgina, thank you so much. I thank really appreciate it. Thank you for appreci- inspiring us. Yeah, yes. this is like, I actually, you actually have me feeling like I want to try some of these things. Mm-hmm. Which makes no, me nervous. Let's go climb a mountain. <laughs> right. On she goes, climbs. Yeah, like, I'm like, don't overdo it, Sarita. No, <laughs> you, can't, you can't overdo it. But I will, I will just say, like, you know, what recommendations are for women of color that are out there who are interested in pursuing this space and how, how they should start. I, I yeah. just, you know, just say, like, just start where you are, you know, like little doses. I started off with trying to get up to running a mile because I couldn't do that yet. Um, and that's like literally how it started. And then I had the confidence to go out on the trail and hike, you know, on my own and go a little further, not necessarily running, but hiking. Um, and, you know, if you don't see yourself in the ads and the books or in the whatever, I mean, Believe me, I'm definitely trying to get change that, and so are you with your platform. Um, let find your doses of inspiration, you know. And when you go into these spaces, know that you belong there. Uh, nature is for everybody. Adventure is for everybody. Um, it is not some exclusive thing. So just know that your own right as a human being is to enjoy the earth, and that's why we're all here. Yes. love that. Thank you, Georgina. We really appreciate it. And everybody, make sure you follow her um, and check out She Ventures. The summits are amazing. You definitely should go and attend. It's pretty awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.